This is episode 223 of How About That Cigar, recorded live at the Corona Cigar Studio. We have Jeremiah Marifel on the show for a very personal and in-depth discussion about family and legacy. Please take a minute to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Now on with the show. Corona Cigar Company is your one-stop shop for all your cigar needs. Whether that's a brand new humidor, a box of those new cigars you've been waiting for, a top-of-the-line cutter or lighter, a place to enjoy the finest cigars and spirits with friends, or the only cigars grown right here in the Sunshine State, we've got you covered. Come visit one of our retail locations for the ultimate cigar experience. Visit us online at coronacigar.com. How about that cigar? Well, how about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Corona Cigar Studios for episode 223 of How About That Cigar Live. Thank you so much for joining us live on Facebook, live on YouTube. And of course, if you're listening after the fact on the audio podcast, uh, thank you so much for listening to How About That Cigar when you drive down the road, when you work out, whatever it is you do when you listen to your favorite audio podcast. Thanks so much for making How About That Cigar a part of it. And here in the beautiful Corona Cigar Studios, uh, it is, it's starting to get cold. Yeah, it's getting a little bit. I'm not, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice and warm in here, but outside it's, I mean, it's basically, we're on a downward tra- trajectory. But we're so lucky so far that we've had the weather we had. We, yeah, yeah. I mean, it couldn't last forever. Yeah. It, it, it was, it's been, you know, kind of a nice run, but it couldn't last forever. No. It's just, uh, you know, I'm going to miss it. I'm, I'm really going to miss the nice weather. That's why we need to take a trip, us three. And speaking about three, how about we get our, uh, <laughs> Super duper producer in here. Yes, let's do Justin it. Justin Smokes. What's up, guys? What's up, brother? How you doing today? Doing all right. So that's why we should let's get back to that. Now that we got all three of us three <laughs> musketeers here. <laughs> Sorry. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. You need a Heimlich? I'm good. <laughs> Sorry. Somebody help that guy. We uh, need to take a vacation somewhere yeah, warm. Yeah, we need to take a vacation somewhere warm. Uh and I think I think that's definitely gonna happen. Even even if it doesn't happen in, until uh uh, the great smoke or PCA it's, it's going to happen. We yeah. just, uh, I don't know. I'd love to get somewhere in like January when it's, you know, cause January, you know what January, February is like, it yeah. sucks. I can't imagine what, what it's like fighting a fire in those kind of conditions. It's awesome. When it's 18 degrees below. It's zero. awesome. Honestly, it's, really? I'd rather fight a fire in the, in the winter time than the summer. Even with all your gear freezing up. Well, yeah. Cause you come out of the fire. You open your jacket; it's instant cool. Oh, I suppose your core temperature drops down. Yeah, I suppose. You put your jacket back on; you're ready to go back in. Oh man, it's beautiful. That's I. I don't know how you guys do it, man. So I, I have That's a proposal, you guys. Thanks, a proposal. Yeah. Since my team's lost this weekend, now let's just skip sports today. No, no. no. Oh, so, man. so uh, the uh, I'll start with the mediocre, and that is the fact that the Green Bay Packers one but just barely over you know one of the worst teams in football just barely won um and the vikings just barely lost to a denver broncos team that is surprisingly kind of yeah it's on to come up Peyton's but, finally his magic's finally working so i don't know yeah i don't they were so miserable last season and so miserable the first like i don't know three four games of this season and all of a sudden 
they're they're playing really well right now. I think Coach Peyton, yeah, is starting to use the cattle prods. Well, and and it seems like Russell Wilson has kind of pulled his head out of his ass, yeah. for lack of a better term. And then we'll just skip over the Jets being totally demolished yesterday by that the Bills. Was, that was pretty brutal. I mean, the I Bills took him to apart. Goodness, you could have went in and coached two better <laughs> passes than him. Oh, not, he's not terrible. Me. Not me. I mean, just I, I throw out a hip just watching games sometimes. He's he's slid all the way down to third on the depth chart now. Which is crazy. They should, they should put him in a practice squad. Well, I, I heard somebody called up Joe Flacco, and I don't know if it's the I thought it was either the Browns or the Jets. Somebody called up Joe Flacco. I want to say it was the Browns. It was the Browns. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Practice squad. The Jets could use him, maybe. <laughs> I mean, he's got experience. Yeah. You know, thanks, Richard. Appreciate you, brother. Um, it's it was a good, uh, you know, good round of football, you know, this weekend. But uh, Chiefs and Eagles are playing right now. Yeah, we should probably have that on a side screen. I think the Chiefs are. It's at home. It's for the Chiefs. Um, mm-hmm. I I think just because it's a home game for the Chiefs, the Chiefs are probably going to win. But uh, I don't know. Uh, so as you guys know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing uh, Raul brings in a mystery whiskey uh, for me. So give us just the basic lowdown on tonight's mystery whiskey. It is from the United States. United States. And you told me bourbon's all from the United States. I didn't know that. To Technically, to be called bourbon, it has to be it has to be distilled. So in the United States. It's a mid price, I would say, between twenty five and forty five dollars. I think I think uh, that is the ten year. The ten year, yeah, not the regular one. It's a ten year, and most bourbon people have drunk that. I would say at least ninety percent of the people have drunk drank that drunk that before. I'm getting hard. That's a little hard. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's got a, this. The aroma is really sweet. Uh, it's got good legs, good color. the The flavor, as soon as it hits the palate, there's that sweetness. But now that I'm talking. The finish is kind of sour, hmm. but not like gross sour, just yeah. kind of, you know, a uh, little bit kind of tartness to it. I, I would give you one other tip. Hmm. It's wanted more than it should be. Okay. All right. That might help. The value, secondary market. Secondary is, market value is higher, higher than, than it should be. Than it should be. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's true for most whiskeys. Uh, can I get an amen from our whiskey lovers out there? Uh, but yeah, we'll uh, proof. I totally don't know. It tastes right off the bat like it's kind of average. You know, somewhere between eighty and eighty and ninety, maybe maybe around a hundred ish. But uh, it doesn't taste super boozy, not super hot. So. Um, but we'll keep checking in on this, uh, bourbon as we go. I'm going to give some tasting notes and stuff like that, but we have a super fantastic, fun, special guest returning to how about that cigar live. And it has been a minute since this gentleman has been on the show. We're so excited to have him on. And as always on how about that cigar live special guests are brought to us by our friends at drew estate and drew estate originally introduced Chateau real in 2007, not long after that launch, 
this cigar brand mysteriously disappeared, and the story became that only of folklore, legend, and even controversy. Now, Chateau Real makes a triumphant return exclusively at Drew Diplomat Digital Retailers, a luxurious blend crafted to highlight the cigar's Connecticut shade uh, forward flavor. Its balanced blend of well-aged Nicaraguan binder and filler tobaccos are wrapped in beautiful Connecticut shade wrapper leaf. This cigar is available in Robusto, Toro, and Churchill only at Drew Diplomat Online Premium Cigar Retailers and presented in 20-count boxes. For more information, please visit DrewEstate.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please put your hands together. Welcome back to HBTC Live, Jeremiah Mirapel. Jeremiah, welcome back to the show, my friend. Good evening, sir. Gentlemen, good, whatever it is to you, good evening, I guess. <laughs> yeah, good morning to you, sir. <laughs> yeah, good, very, very early morning. Thank you so much for uh, for crawling out of bed at an extremely ungodly hour for us, my brother. We are very appreciative. Well, I'm 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 happy to be here. I'm not appreciative you got me out of bed, but I'm happy to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and can you tell our listeners where you're at? Yeah, I'm in Brussels, uh, which is the capital of Europe. Okay. Um, it's between France, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, next to Switzerland, Germany, right in the heart of Europe. So, so what time is it over there? Let's see here. It's uh, half uh, quarter to four. Okay. Yeah, a little early. A little early. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, again, thank you so much, man. It's, we know it's, it is not easy getting out of bed at, uh, let me tell you something. I'm excited to be here with all of you and I'm so glad to see you that uh, yes. it makes all of this very, very easy for me. And it's going to be a wonderful time together. Yes. So do you plan on going back to sleep after the show? Or are you up for the rest of the day? Oh, no, no, no. I'll probably light up my, my first cigar in, uh, in about an hour from now and uh, kickstart the day. <laughs> yeah that's a good call that's a good call um so one of the things that we do here on the show to get things rolling is uh raul has already got his cigar fired up our uh, uh, brother do me a favor hold that up to the camera so everybody can see that beautiful cigar uh nice and close up there we go so uh jeremiah you recognize that beautiful thing on the screen right there um beautiful cigar and i'm gonna i'm gonna fire one up right now as well and i think that were you able to get the no that's okay so we gotta go old school we gotta go old school All right. so so give me just uh actually you know what let okay. well we're gonna leave him back there we're gonna leave him back there and i'm just gonna we're, we're gonna do this old school so there's my camera see <laughs> we're going old school tonight guys because we had a little technical issue before but it's all good and you're going to see my eyes flutter back and forth from from the camera to the, actually no i'm going to try to do it without looking at the read we'll see how this goes all right you guys ready ready set go all right here we go oh see it helps if i open the lighter too there we go <laughs> when lighting your cigar it's important to be patient pay close attention to detail and focus on the tobacco in the same ways, Steve Saka brings those same qualities to the ultra-premium cigars of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Patience, close attention, and focus on the tobacco are the qualities that Saka and Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust have become known for. From Sober Mesa to Umbagog, Dunbarton has a blend that will fit your palate, your mood, and any occasion. 
Visit DunbartonCigars.com to learn more. Yeah, Steve. You see, you see, he did it, Steve. Not bad. Not bad. I actually wasn't looking at the camera. I was looking at the tip of the cigar because I didn't want to char the hell out of this beautiful cigar. So I was just really trying to be uh, cognizant of that. So, so we had a little trouble finding out exactly, or did we figure it out, what this cigar is, which one this is? It's not the Richard, right? No, is actually, what, what you're holding Mira? there is a, is a Mira, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so one of the things uh, that we want to talk to you about tonight, Jeremiah, is... Um, you know, in addition to the Mirafell cigars and so many of the things that that you and your family have been involved with in the tobacco business for so many so many years, um, one of the things we'd like to get a feel for, kind of your um, what you were doing before, because we know this is a family business and it has been for for four hundred four hundred years, many 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 decades, if not centuries. Yeah. Um, but tell us about so before. You know, when you were coming up through schooling, uh, primary school, college, what were what were your biggest interests? You know, because you think, okay, you're probably going to go into the family business, but you might not go into the family business. What were some of the things that really you were interested in before tobacco that if you thought to yourself, I might do this instead of going into the tobacco business? Matt, you're asking me a question on a on a very special day. Firstly, I'd like to tell you something which I didn't tell you when you called me up and you asked me whether I'd like to come on today on your show. And I accepted the date with a very, very warm heart, but a very, very cold heart as well at the same time, because today is my father's birthday. Mm. And today is a day which I remember very clearly, exactly 20 years ago, day for day. We're celebrating in the Dominican Republic. And right about this time, we were sitting in the kitchen with dad and Carlito Fuente, the three of us, lifting up a glass and toasting to my father's birthday. At that moment, my father had had a call from his managing director in Central Africa to let him know that our companies down there had been expropriated by the government. This is 20 years day for day. Carlito will remember we were sitting in his kitchen. We lifted our whiskey glasses, wished my father happy birthday, and at that exact moment, my father's glass cracked and broke. Mm. Twenty years day for day. And that's the day that I started my career as you know it today. You're asking me whether when I was a kid, I wanted to do anything else but tobacco. If I had had any other aspirations, if I was inspired in any other way. 
And the reality is probably none for several reasons. Number one, I think everybody will agree that father figures are interesting characters in a man's life, in a woman's life as well. My father was in Cuba when I was a little child. We were living in Miami, first in South Miami Beach in the late 1970s. And then later on, we moved a little bit north of Miami. And dad used to spend the weeks in Cuba and he would come back once or twice a month on the weekend to see his children and his wife. And so when dad walked through that door, he walked through the door with a big smile and a cigar in his mouth. I must have been, well, actually I was anywhere from being zero years old to I think about seven years old when he stopped going. And so the first seven years of my life were years that I smelt tobacco and saw tobacco. The same time I saw my father. And so that indissociation between tobacco and dad at such an early age in my life associated what a leaf is to a human being on an emotional level. Hmm. So my only dream was to see him more and tobacco was the bridge to be able to do that. Yeah. Deeply rooted in my mind, tobacco was what my father was and vice versa. So the short answer is no, there was never anything else. I remember uh, sitting on my grandfather's lap and my grandfather would say, ah, you know, you're the firstborn of the family. You're going to continue the family tradition. Hmm. Some things are unnegotiable. And to be honest with you, I never really asked myself the question. You know, the, the lineage of, uh, of our family in the tobacco industry dates back forever. A lot of people, uh, we use the date 1876 a lot in uh, on the bands actually of the cigars you're smoking right now. It says 1876. That's the, the day that we opened up our cigar factory in Germany in the village of Untergrumbach. Meir Marifal actually, Meir II. Meir II opened up that factory on the 1st of September, 1876. And he was already from a lineage of tobacco growers and traders dating back from the 1600s that were in Spain and then uh, ended up in the early 1700s in a village called Michaelsfeld, Michelsfeld, which is uh, actually an interesting, uh, an interesting story in, in itself because that's where, that's where we got our, that's how our name transformed, so to speak, mm. in Marifel. And, um, and then uh, about 100 years later, uh, Michelsfeld was a very big tobacco growing region in, uh, near Karlsruhe. And then in the uh, in the 1800s, they went down the street um, and they continued the operation 
from growing into uh, into manufacturing in the in the in the mid 1800s. So your family name uh, was loosely sort of based on that region, the name of that region. Is that correct? <laughs> Actually, it's the first time I'm ever going to say this live. Our family name roots back to an old Aramaic name hmm. in the Old Testament. The name started out as Arapfel. Now, what does Arapfel mean in Aramaic? Arapfel means smoke. We know that in the uh, 1600s, uh, there were Jewish pirates out of Spain that were trading tobacco across Atlantic from the old world to the new world. And so the Arabful family got its name because it was trading leaf, it was trading tobacco, and it was creating smoke. Now, uh, through time, the family needed to get out of Spain because obviously there was a, it was a whole big mess there with the Inquisition. And they made their way to uh, Germany. And in Germany, like many, many, many Jewish families, the names were Germanized. And so Arabfel family arriving in Mikkelsfeld, being an old family from the sea, was changed to Meerapfel. And what does Meerapfel mean? It means sea apple in German. So Arabfel from smoke is translated to sea apple, Meerapfel in German. And that's how the Meerapfel name was born. Wow. This happened in the very, very early 1700s. Okay. So I'm curious, how do you remember how old you were and when you came to that true sort of internal realization? Um, and, and maybe it's still because I, I know for me, even in my 50s, as I there's still things that I am, am learning to grasp the depth of and, and all that in my life and my family. But for you, do you remember when you truly started to grasp the depth and the, the legacy behind your family's name in the tobacco business? It's a very hard question. I think it's a, it's a question uh, which, uh, which, which has different sentiments to it, different angles to it. Mm-hmm. Because on one hand, you don't really pay attention to it on a day-to-day basis when you're trying to push things forward, when you're trying to not get swallowed up by uh, history in, a, in, in, in creating a concrete future. But on the other hand, the history is so important and so necessary to create a future. So it's a bit of a mixed sentiment in respect that you need to use the history and the knowledge and you need to grasp those values when things get tough, when things get difficult, and they get difficult for everybody in life. Things happen, disasters happen, um, problems occur. And sometimes things 
pull down your business or pull down your, your, yourself. And in those moments, the recollection and, the, and the, the strength you have, the attachment you have to your history is what keeps you sane and what keeps you grounded. And so in those moments, you remember. You remember that during the acquisitions, you were thrown out, you lost everything. In Germany, during the First World War, you lose everything. In Germany, in the Second World War, you lose everything. In Cuba, in the revolution, lose everything. In Central Africa, during the coup d'etats, you lose everything. And every single generation, more or less, as, as far as we can recall, has gone through hell, doing what they love to do, believing in what, they, in what they're doing. And it's comforting. It's comforting to know that whatever life throws at you or throws at your ancestors, we're still here. You mm. can still get back up on your two feet and you can still keep walking in life. Yeah. I think this is valid for everything and everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're in the tobacco business or whether you're in, in anything. It doesn't matter. Human beings have a resilience. And if you're attached to the right values and you're attached to the right things in life, then it doesn't matter how bad it gets. Yes. It matter of, it's not about how, how about the cigar, but how difficult <laughs> it gets. <laughs> And you will get through it. You'll get through it because you have the strength. You'll get through it because you have the right values. And those values are built on ideologies. Those values are built on history. Those values are built on very, very sane, very, very concrete, and very, very healthy fundamentals, which will enable you to get back on your feet and keep walking. Yes. And I think that's the, the, story, the story of the family. Uh, you know, how does a family survive for, for, for you know, four centuries in a business like this? Resilience, hard work, or more resilience and hard work and more resilience and hard work. But at the end of the day, uh, it's, 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 it's a certain type of education that you want to make sure you transmit. And, um, and I think that's, what my father was able to give us, Joshua, myself, my sister, Melissa, my mother, my mother was very, very, very strong in these things as well. More than an education in tobacco, more than an education in, in cigars, more than an education in, in the inspiration of the industry. But it's very, very strong fundamental values that, uh, that enable you to get up when you're knocked down. I love that. I love it. Yeah, it's a great story. <clears throat> um, can you uh, tell us about who you are as a man? Um, we appreciate your family's history, but who are you? Hmm. You know, I, I've been asking myself that question for uh, <laughs> the first half a century now. Um, 
I believe that I'm, I'm um, I believe that I'm, I'm a bit of a, a mess or a melting pot between, <laughs> between many different realities. Um, on, on one hand, I was raised by a, by a father and a, and a grandfather um, that come from, uh, and a great grandfather and so on, which, which is very, uh, it's a very, uh, it's almost a, of an aristocracy as a, as a family, so to speak. Uh, and when I say aristocracy, I mean aristocracy in, in, a, in, a, in a ways, in a way of holding yourself, in a, in a way of being, in a way of, of celebrating life, um, but also in, in an environment. Uh, the family is European and clearly European. Uh, the German roots, which I grew up with because my grandfather was very much German in his ways, um, were part of an intellectual elite in Germany from, uh, from the beginning of the century. Um, my grandfather's uncle um, was, was a founder of the, uh, one of the founders, the, the, the head of the Social Democratic Party in, in Southern Germany before the war, which was actually the party that, that fought against the, the Hitler regime and then lost in, in, the, uh, in the 30s. My father took a different uh, direction in life. My father left school when he was uh, 14 years old, uh, started working uh, very, very young, disconnected himself with the family business for, for many years um, until coming back uh, uh, after he had uh, finished his, uh, his work in Cuba. So. My education was a, was, a, was a mix. It was a mix between my father telling me, Jeremiah, you know, you have to get out there and you have to, you have to work when you're 10 years old or 12 years old because that's what forges a man. And you had my grandfather who was more of, a, of an old school intellectual that said, no, no, you have to, uh, you have to study and you have to, you have to go to university and you have to get lots of degrees and you have to and develop your, your, your academic and your, your, your skills in terms of academia. And all of that was mixed up in a cocktail shaker and, uh, and, uh, and then kind of thrown at a wall, basically. <laughs> and the result is exactly that. Um, the result is exactly that. I, uh, I started my, uh, my training in the, in the cigar industry officially when I was, I think, 13 years old, 12 or 13. I started uh, training with various manufacturers, uh, going to Africa, spending you know two three months in the summertime, a month and a half in the wintertime, and every other vacation in the book. So you know, talking about maybe three or four months of full time work a year uh, as a twelve or thirteen year old uh, until I finished school, um, but then going to the to university and uh, and and then spending. Uh, on an executive level, and this, this was not fun, but uh, something I did, uh, you know, running a company and spending, you know, close to actually over 14 years at, the, at, at a university level and finishing off in a doctoral program in Cambridge for eight years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of this put together in a shaker, you have, a, you have kind of a mixture between a, a street dog and a... And a <laughs> I don't. So, so you kind of get the picture. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I wouldn't say that I have a preference over one from the other. I, I don't think any of it is important. I think, I think in life again, what matters is who you are and not and not what you've done or what you're doing. Uh, I think uh, I think what's important again, going back, is uh, is um, is the fundamentals of of what you want to represent in life. And uh, I think this is a good message to anybody listening, any of the new generation may be listening. I think the most important message that I can give on that level is the biggest value that a human being can have is how he treats other people. Mm. It's what he does for the world, not in terms of building business or making money, but in terms of leaving light behind you and goodness behind you, leaving traces of positivity that, uh, that enables us to bring spark into the darkness. I try um, a lot. And if you can use all of your experiences, whatever they may be, whether it's throwing seeds in Connecticut or rolling a cigar in the Dominican Republic or transplanting a tobacco plant in, in the middle of the African rainforest. I think the most important thing in, in, in a human's life is, uh, is the journey he takes and what he leaves behind in terms of, uh, in terms of emotion and in terms of uh, inspiration for people to be good. We're living in very, very troubling times, hmm. times where people are forgetting who they are, where societies are, are, are collapsing, where wars are breaking out everywhere in the world. And you see that a lot of uh, a lot of the world is turned towards materialism. It's, it's turned towards uh, what's shining and, and what's glittering. And I think that uh, and I think that's a huge reminder and a very big opportunity for us and for our children uh, to take a step back and to realize that uh, if we want to make life magic, if we want to be the real royalty of the world and the real aristocracy of the world. It's not about your position. It's not about your money. It's not about the car you drive, but it's the way you hold yourself, the way you speak to others and the energy you bring to this world. And that in itself can, can change the world. And, um, and I hope that answers your question, Matt. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, along those same lines, if you go back to you know what you were saying about leaving light behind you and 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 leaving positivity behind you in in your wake you know wherever you go in life whatever you do in life those values are have also been expressed very deeply by members of the fuente family and i know that that relationship for you and your family goes back a long ways talk to us briefly about what the relationship with the Fuente family means to you and what it, the, so maybe even some of the origins of that relationship between your two families. I started the, the show by saying that today was dad's birthday and the last day of my, the last day I ever saw my father was on his birthday in the Dominican Republic, sharing a scotch with him and Carlito Fuente. 
a Carlitos house in the Dominican Republic. I'll explain to you the relationship that, uh, that my father and I and Joshua have with the Fuente family. That evening, when uh, my father found out that he was expropriated, he didn't break down. He didn't cry. He wasn't all over the place. He wasn't phoning his lawyers. The only thing he did was look at Carlito Fuente in the eye and tell them, don't worry. I'm there for you. I'm there for your company. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to figure out and you don't have to worry. Carlito Fuente was a little brother to my father. My father considered him his brother. <clears throat> End of story. And everything he did in his life, everything, from the moment he woke up to the moment he passed away, was to make sure that his family was safe. To make sure his family would be better off unconditionally at whatever cost. Now the cost was very high. He passed away a week later. But answering your question in any other way would be diminishing the significance And I believe that there would be no other way to express the love and commitment that my father and what he passed on to Joshua and I, and the way we view our friendships and our relationships with the people that we love, that we support. Unconditionality is a word that is not just a sound coming out of our mouths, mm. but something that we've lived by for many generations. And we're very proud of that. It makes us who we are. It also makes us pains in the asses. It also <laughs> makes us very, very difficult to live with. Because I can tell you that having people that are so hard-headed and, and so uh, adamant and so... Uh, whole. Uh, when I say whole, I mean uh, entire in, in, in the integrity and in the, it's not easy. You, yeah. need to, uh, you need to be okay. Listen, you know, not, not everybody <laughs> wants to hear the truth or at least the truth as the person across from them sees it. <laughs> but uh, on the flip side, it's real. Yeah. Well, and there, there it's true that there's a pe people who care deeply and, hold relationships deeply and and feel things deeply are fiercely loyal and fiercely um um hard workers and 
they think deeply also into their work. They think deeply into their families. They mm -hmm. think deeply into their, you know, pretty most of the things that come into their life. And that, that really does kind of translate with, translate with what you're talking about. And, and you have to throw in a little stubborn too. A little stubborn. Yeah. About they, what they care about. They're willing to exactly. run through walls for that. Exactly. Sorry, gentlemen, I didn't hear the first part of what you just said. For some reason, the, the system cut off here. <coughs> no, it's, uh, can you hear us okay now? Yes. Okay. Well, I was just saying that it's, it, it falls in line with what you were talking about, that the fact that you, people who feel things deeply and have deep emotions and deep relationships in their life also happen to be fiercely loyal. Mm -hmm. And Raul brought up that 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 comes with it a natural sort of stubbornness, which is is actually a good thing. Yeah, no matter what you say about people I love, yeah, I'm not budging on it. Yeah, that goes I'm, into I'm, the it goes yeah, into the loyalty loyalty, yeah. loyalty piece of it, and and we know you have that. We know your family has that. We know the Fuente family has that because uh, it's been demonstrated for decades uh, and more than than even decades. And you can hear that, you can feel that in what you're saying, Jeremiah, that it's, it's real for you. It's, this is, this is way more than just, that's why we, you know, I mean, I, I had so many cigar questions lined up, but I'd, I'd just rather talk about family and legacy and, and the future and things like that. Then, I mean, we, we can probably talk about tobacco a little bit too, I guess, but I'm just loving this 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 kind of deep conversation because it really goes to the root of everything in the world regard whether it's cigars or or spirits or wines or great literature or great music or or great, great food it 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 goes beyond all of those things because none of those things would, would exist without fierce loyalty and deep relationships and deep caring that's right so i this is what it's about yeah well, I want to ask you a question about tobacco, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the journey that you have to take from the minute you land in Africa all the way to the farms. I, I watched one of your interviews, and I was mesmerized of you telling that story of, of landing in the farms that the soil is so fresh. It's so clean. It's mm. like Adam and Eve's soil. <laughs> Can you can you tell us a little bit about that and, and your feelings when you go back to Africa? I can tell you how I wish it was. I <laughs> right. wish I got off a plane. Right. Ended up in a beautiful field ten minutes later, getting out of my nice four by four. That's not so. Irrigation and electricity and having a super efficient setup, and. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I wish. No, joke aside, listen, I, for some nasty reason or some, some game that somebody up there is playing, anything which is very precious is impossible to get. <laughs> whether it's gold, diamonds, whether it's Cameroon, oil and gas, or whatever it is. There's a nasty uh, truffles, you name it. Anything which is very, very, very special is impossible to get. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Marifal Cameroon, and, and the reason I say Marifal, and I'll explain that in a minute, Marifal Cameroon is, is definitely, definitely one of those. 
Um, actually, to be honest, uh, I, I don't think there's another tobacco in the world that, uh, uh, actually, I'm sure there's not another tobacco in the world uh, that's as difficult, perilous, challenging, life-threatening, um, uh, demanding uh, to obtain than a leaf of Marifol Cameroon tobacco. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind. Uh, the reasons for that are uh, very simple. Uh, you need to grow the stuff in, in an environment uh, which is extremely challenging every single way that you look at it. Um, we know that this stuff is grown in the second densest rainforest on the planet. Um, so you can just imagine, let's just take the Amazon, for example. Has anybody here ever been close to the Amazon or in the Amazon? No, actually, the only rainforest I've been to is the one in Puerto Rico, and that's pretty much a tourist attraction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, anybody who's been to a, a real rainforest before knows very well that uh, it's, it's difficult to enter it. Um, it's so dense that uh, you have a hard time actually walking in. Uh, typically, uh, you, need to, uh, you need to cut your way through and, and, and enter the rainforest. And then once you enter, uh, you can find all kinds of stuff. And typically, that stuff is not very friendly. Now, on the flip side, what that also means is that nobody's ever set foot there before. And so you have these soils, and it was beautifully said, Ro. You have these soils, which, uh, which are basically Adam and Eve soils, uh, soils which nobody's ever set foot on before, um, soils which are the result of billions of years of biological decay and um, which basically, you know, you know, there's the old saying, you are what you eat. Well, for tobacco, it's the same thing. It is what it eats. And so uh, you have this, uh, this I, I call our tobacco the sacred leaf. I also once in a while call it fruit because it's so, so sweet. And uh, there's no secrets. Um, when you have agriculture, which is done in, a, in, in, in the old school way, so to speak, in a, in a, or, or, or in a no school way. <laughs> Primitive way. <laughs> because guys like, guys like Placentia wouldn't agree with the old school, so I'll say a no school way. Um, you're going to get something that tastes very good. And um, uh, in the same way as, you know, you know, the tourists travel to, to, the, to the deep parts of Italy in the summer and they're like, oh my God, the tomatoes tasted so good. And uh, well, yeah. guess what, guys? You know, if, if, you go, if you grow your product in a certain way, uh, you're going to uh, get very special tasting uh, food or tobacco or whatever it, else, whatever it is uh, else that you're growing. Uh, and that's, that's a luxury which, uh, which our family has, um, uh, has had over the last... Uh, My grandfather started working in Cameroon, I think, in the, in the 50s, in the late 50s, early 60s. So we've been doing that for quite some time. And, and Cameroon is, is very distinct. It's, it's unique. Now, whether you like it or not, that's another story. Some people prefer um, 
very, very uh, aggressive style tobaccos, uh, uh, which have huge notes of uh, of peppers, and where where the fermentation is uh, is uh, is not uh, pushed to uh, to what what I would consider the end, uh, and so it's very strong ammoniac or or very strong what people interpret as power today, unfortunately. Um, and, and that's not at all the style of tobacco which, uh, which we grow and, and which we want to grow. Um, what, what we will do is, uh, is we'll grow this, uh, this, this sacred leaf of ours in the middle of the rainforest. Uh, we'll get a no yield. It's uh, very, very complicated. We have huge amounts of problems, including disease and, uh, and, and, and all kinds of other stuff, insects, you name it. It's uh, elephants walking through the fields and, and, and trampling uh, uh, entire entire uh, uh, plantations because we mm. have many many different plantations. We we work with little micro plantations, and we have about three thousand of them. And uh, and then from there uh, we'll take the tobacco, which you can already imagine that the, there's there's you know I don't know five or six or seven leaves out of out of uh, 40 or 50 leaves uh, which are which are suitable um, to end up uh, to maybe end up in a bill and then we'll, we'll we'll bring it into a center and in those centers we're going to start pushing fermentation and that's another part of our, our process it's another part of the Marifal uh, Cameroon product which you're which you're enjoying because we, we ferment in a way that uh, there's there's not a single a, a single person on the planet that would ferment in this way and the reason for this is because during our fermentation we um we destroy a significant part of our tobacco um the tobacco is you know fermentation all of you understand the notion that you're basically cooking the tobacco mm -hmm. right you're, you're putting the the tobacco in mass that has humidity it has weight and it's heating up and the effect of the heat is to remove from the tobaccos what I call the, the poison, so to speak. So you're removing the, uh, the ammoniacs and you're removing all of the gases and the poisons which, which give tobacco uh, an aggressive, um, an aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, unpure, the impurities of the product. Yeah. Um, which is why it's so important that uh, the premium cigar industry is separated uh, from from any other tobacco product. Is is most probably because of of the processes of fermentation, where uh, where these impurities are, are extracted, and you end up with an unbelievable, no, an unbelievably noble product, per se. Yeah. But um, we're pushing this to such an extent that there's huge amounts of damage which is, uh, which is done on the, on the leaf on a physical level because we always privilege the taste and the intrinsic quality of removing the impurities to the yields that we get on the crop. And that causes a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. because what it does is it makes the tobacco very, very expensive, it makes the tobacco unbelievably expensive. By this point, 
you know, out of 100 leaves in the fields, you know, maybe you have five leaves to pack or four leaves to pack, which you can then export as wrapper or sell as wrapper. Mm -hmm. You follow me? Yeah. So this is a process which, which um, we're, we're definitely, 100% definitely, uh, the only company in the world that would work in this particular way. Uh, because again, we set up our processes for taste and not for the lucrative side of the business, not for the fact that we want to optimize or that we privilege the, the privilege, the optimization of, of, of the, of the business per se, but we're privileging the intrinsic quality of the leaf. And so what happens is uh, manufacturers end up with a, with a tobacco, which, which is expensive. It, it doesn't yield very well per se compared certainly compared to, uh, the tobaccos coming out of uh, of Ecuador or coming out of Nicaragua uh, or Honduras, and um, and that's that's difficult. That's very very difficult. It's difficult for them. It's difficult for us, and it makes everything very very expensive and labor intensive afterwards. Yeah, the resorting. But but and this is where um, we've. Um, we've never bent or we were never overly excited to change our ways. That leaf tastes so good. <laughs> it does. It does. It this, so is a, this is an outstanding cigar right here. Yeah. I'm outstanding really enjoying cigar. this cigar. And so you're, you're ending up with a, with a, you're ending up with a product, which, which is different. And it's not different because it's another seed or it's not different because it's another providence. It's different because it doesn't taste the same. It's different mm. because it doesn't contain uh, the same impurities and the effect that has on the palate is unique. And this is why when anybody in the world lights up um, a Marifal Cameroon leaf or a cigar that has a Marifal Cameroon on it, it is so clearly distinctive and it's not because I'm wearing a hat or <laughs> my grandfather's glasses or because I walk around the Dominican Republic with a scarf and, a, and an oversized suit and I'm sweating my, my ass off. <laughs> no, that's, that's because I don't want my father or grandfather to slap me across the face because I haven't dressed properly and I disrespected the people I'm with. No, it's not because of all of that. Hmm. It's because the product speaks for itself. The product is different. The product is noble. And, um, you know, earlier on, we spoke about what keeps a family in the business. Mm. How does a family survive for so many uh, centuries? It has nothing to do with the job itself. It has to do with those, uh, with the education to the next generation that there will never be a compromise on certain things, disrespective of what that could bring you or disrespective of what you could lose. And when it's in your DNA that you rather burn down the castle, you rather bring everything down to shreds, you rather destroy everything that was built before you 
rather than <laughs> sell your soul to the Ferrari or the Maserati or the Rolls Royce <laughs> or that extra house in the Bahamas. Yeah. If you're willing to do that, then you're also willing to secure a place for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren in a very special place. And let me tell you, gentlemen, that place is not only the tobacco or the cigar industry. That place are the carriers of light we were speaking about earlier on. That place are the ones where your children and my children can sit down and have common values of peace, of love, of humanity, of intellectual ability. And that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That's expressed through the way you conduct your art, which is growing tobacco or making shoelaces. Hmm. It's irrelevant. Right. That's, I love it. I love it. So one of the things that I'm curious about from, for, for you and the people who, you know, because there have been cigars in the past, you know, where they've carried the Mirafel Cameroon tobacco on the wrapper. But, and there have also been cigars in the past that have carried the Mirafel name on the band. But this, this project now, what you guys are working on right now, these cigars that we're even smoking right now, this is a new thing. This is, this is something new and special. And I'm curious about your, because everybody, whether they're, whether they compose music or they make, or they blend cigars or they, they do sculpture or a, a chef who makes meals or a vintner who makes wine. Everybody's got their own process for that creative process. I want to know what I'm curious about your creative process. When you take this tobacco that you're so familiar with, and then you say, okay, we're going to make, we're going to make some new blends from the ground up and put our family's name on them, on the bands and on the boxes and this is going to be a, a brand new thing. So talk, talk us through your creative process with you and the other people who, who help create this, these, these cigars uh, and, and sort of your philosophy behind it. Well, first of all, um, this is not a new thing. Um, if you look at your bands on the, on the cigar, there's a date on there. Uh, the date on there is the, date that the Merfel Cigar Factory was uh, brought up in, uh, in Germany in, the, uh, in 1876. Um, so that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind uh, during the, the next few minutes of this conversation. The second thing is, uh, is uh, this very special day, actually, 20 years ago, uh, my father's birthday, 20, day, 20 years day for day on the 20th of November, 2003. And then things that, uh, that led up to his uh, passing away, which is uh, a week from now, 20 years ago. When, uh, when my father Richard passed away on the 28th of November, 2003, um, it was like somebody picked up a, a drug enough or an anti uh, 
tank missile and, and shot it through my head. My entire world came crashing down. I'd lost my father. I'd lost the patriarch of our family. I lost the, uh, the president of our business. Um, we actually lost the business in itself, so to speak. We were expropriated. Uh, there was nothing clear in front of us anymore. But then earlier on, we spoke about catching on to those values. And so the only thing that I could do at that moment was say, okay, what, what must I do? What's my responsibility right now? And the last thing I heard my father say to anybody in the world was to Carlito Fuente when he promised Carlito that he will make sure that Carlito doesn't get in trouble with Cameroon tobacco. Hmm. And I called up my brother and my grandfather at the time, who was uh, still alive, he was in his 80s. And I said, I'm going back to Africa. We're going to build the company back. Now, you need to realize something. I was 24 years old. Mm -hmm. We just had a coup d'etat in Africa, one of the worst dictators in the history of Africa. I think you can find it in Time magazine. He was uh, one of the 30 most bloodthirsty dictators to take control of uh, sub-Saharan Africa, drinking the blood of children, thinking that it keeps him young, and taking control in the Central African Republic. So picture this. You have a 23-year-old or 24-year-old kid taking a flight, going to the middle of the jungle to confront a man that uh, just expropriated the family, to rebuild a business in the middle of nowhere. Because the last thing he heard his father tell his best friend is, I won't let you down. When you base your life on the wars and the promises of the generations before you, it sets the tone. At the same time, I realized for the first time in my life how fragile life is, how fragile business is. And how quickly one can be erased from the history books by those who rewrite history, by those who take control and rewrite history. We see it in politics. We've seen it throughout, throughout time and ages.
at that moment, I realized that I did not want my father to be erased mm. from the history books. You know, 20 years ago, Matt, outside of the industry, very few people in the world have ever heard about Marifel or Richard Marifel. I mean, still today, people are learning, but certainly 20 years ago, most people had no idea. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because for many, many years, well, first of all, communication wasn't the same, but also for many, many years, particularly my father and my grandfather had been behind many of the great men of the industry or the industry itself. And so when dad passed away, one of the missions I had for myself was to make sure that he would be remembered. Him, and then later my grandfather and my great-grandfather and the great-great-grandfather and these, these wonderful people. Actually, I don't know if they were all wonderful. I didn't know them personally. And to be honest with you, I think some of them had a hell of a character. <laughs> Looking at myself in the mirror, I can't say I'm wonderful, but <laughs> joke, aside, joke, joke aside, joke aside, these are incredible human, incredible people with incredible stories, unique, absolutely unique, and contributions to the industry, which, which I, I dare to say is, uh, is so unique. Uh, it's, it's part of the fundamentals of the industry itself. And so this crazy, crazy idea came in my head, and I said, you know what? Our, our factory was burnt down during the war, during the Second World War. And since then, we never had a Marifel cigar again. Hmm. Would this not be the right time to introduce it? And obviously, obviously, the first one was the Richard Marifel. Obviously, it was a, a very, 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 very special project. And the aim of it was to make sure that... Uh, my father's legacy, his name would exist after my time and after my children's time that people would remember. It would spark an interest. They would read about it or they would pick up a cigar and they would sit down and light it up and say, who was Richard Marifel? What did he mean to the industry? What does he mean to me? What did he contribute? And um, that's what I wish. I wish for when somebody lights up a, a Marifel cigar, they connect with the person who's behind it. Not the person who created it. And we can, I'll answer your question, don't worry. <laughs> but the person who's behind it. And they can spend a moment with that person. Because my dirty little secret is it's, it was my way to spend a little moment with that person. It was my way to sit down and to light up a cigar and connect with my father and my grandfather and my great grandfather. That's not a, that's not a dirty little secret, brother. That's, that's beautiful. Honestly, mm -hmm. that's profound. And, and yeah, I, that's, that's what it's about. 
No. The creation. <laughs> you see, the, the Merful Cigar Project is not about um, rolling a cigar. Hmm. Uh, it's not about putting a band on a cigar which, uh, which has our name on it or, or sticking our name on a box. Far, 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 far from. You see, when you go back for hundreds of years, and I and I see what's uh, you know what my what my my father my grandfather and the great grandfather what I see all, what all these guys did in the industry. Uh, there was huge amounts of innovation. You know, uh, Mayer moved from uh, Mayer the second moved from uh, Mikkelsfeld down the road to Untergrombach in Germany, and he set up a cigar factory. Now, that in itself is 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 an interesting move because. He's going from growing tobacco. Mikkelsfeld was a big growing tobacco region, and he was the biggest tobacco grower in that region. Uh, to setting up a to setting up a rolling operation in the in the in the mid eighteen hundreds, which is quite quite interesting to say the least. Then you see his son, Ernst, and his son, who's, who was captivated captivated by the history of his uh, his ancestors who were on the boats. Uh, decides that he wants to travel to the other side of the planet by ship, obviously. Starts growing tobacco in Indonesia. And then you have my grandfather. By that time, he's back in, uh, in Germany. You have my grandfather going to Cuba, becoming the largest exporter of Cuban tobacco in history. This was at the time when Chikovaro was still a minister of industry. Then continues, and uh, there's quite a few stories with, with Heller, for those who know him. <laughs> he's smiling right now. And then you have my father, who when he's, I think, 17, 16, 17, 18, in, the, in this, I think, 69, he goes to Cameroon, befriends the pygmies, because it's the forest of the pygmies there where we are. Now, you need to remember, this is the late 60s. Nobody's befriended the pygmies. They're they're not known to being very friendly with the uh, with the with the local population. Yet alone with the with people coming in from from the outside. And my father ends up being very 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 close to to them. And and actually in in a way that's that's most probably why I think he fell in love with the region and decided to uh, decided to 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 commit his whole life to building a. The, the rapper business and the and, and his business, so to speak, in, in, in that area. You have these huge innovators in the family. And so I'm sitting there and I'm and, and this is this is now 20 years, almost day for day, and I'm sitting there thinking, how the hell am I gonna innovate anything in this industry? You know, taking something which we all know and we all love, and many of us are decent to say the least and some even talented at creating a, a product which let's face it has never been better in the last uh, in the last 50 years you know cigars today on on, in, on a general level are fantastic mm -hmm. how do you reinvent anything here and so I spent 
about 17 years trying to figure out how to add anything. Now, 17 years is a long time, <laughs> <laughs> which goes to prove that I'm not that intelligent if it took me 17 <laughs> years. Because <laughs> most of you guys will be like, who, I could have done this in a week. <laughs> no, not a chance. <laughs> and basically, typically what uh, what we're talking we're taught in academia is if you want to truly understand something you need to break it down you need to go back to the core hypothesis you need to go to the fundamentals uh, in business some people call it the root cause analysis it's basically going down to the lowest common denominator and so the idea was to take the product what is a cigar product? What is a cigar? The cigar is it's it's a it's a holistic experience. Cigar is a is a is a raison d'être, but it's also an art de vivre. It's a, it's an it's a an art an art of life. Hmm. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's a it's an emotion. It's very intangible, but it's coming from tangible things, and we're trying to understand what those tangible things are. And so. I started to deconstruct everything, absolutely everything. I started with the cigar itself. Um, what is a cigar? Well, you have wrapper, you have filler, and you have binder. Okay, fine. That's, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that, um, let's say you, uh, you position the leaves in a certain way inside the filler. Let's say you do an entubado, for example, or you do, you, you, you do this kind of accordion, or, or you put this type... Fine, that's another way of looking at it. But there's so much more. Go down to the tobacco itself. What types of tobacco are you using? What is the age of that tobacco? How far can you push every single element of the cigar? Whether it's the tobacco you're using, the age of the tobacco, whether it's the way you're putting it together, which is down to the manufacturer, whether it's how you're aging the cigar itself. Mm -hmm. The type of blend that you're actually using. Now, the Mariful Cigar Project is not your typical commercial cigar project. The idea is not to go out there and sell cigars. The idea is to reinvent a part of the industry, to create something new and something old at the same time, something special, something that adds value, something which is unique, something to pay tribute to a 400-year-old family legacy. So another exercise that was done is, who are we? What are we trying to achieve? You know, you have your, uh, let's say you have your show. How about that cigar, right? Hmm. One of the things you're doing is, in a way, whether you're doing it consciously or not, is you're trying to, to achieve something. You're trying to portray something. Your product resembles who you are in one fashion or another, correct? Yes. You don't have palm trees behind you or uh, you don't have uh, girls from Tahiti going hadudatudo around you right now. You're in, a, you're, in a, you're in a certain setting, okay, and you're under a certain format because there's a connection between where you are, where you came from, and what you're trying to achieve. 
Now, the cigar industry, if you look at it very coldly, and you look at the products which are coming out of the cigar industry, apart from a few exceptions, there's a relative uniformity to the standard that's been given. I explain. Dominican Republic, Cuba, Honduras. There's a common denominator here, Latin America. Mm -hmm. There's a common feel. There's a common touch. Whether that touch is felt on the packaging side or whether that touch is felt on the product side itself, what I mean by that is the style of the smoke, the style of what you're actually enjoying, there's a common thread. Who am I? Hmm. What is Marifel? Marifel, in effect, is an old European tobacco family. Which, interestingly enough, is the roots of the families which created the industry in Cuba. They were Spaniards. What is this? I don't know what that is. You froze. There, it's gone. Uh, that was fun, whatever virtual, it was. Virtual uh, reality stuff. In this <laughs> the industries were created by, by, by these generations of people that came in from Europe. And that identity was lost over time. And the new identity was then recaptured on the other side of the, of the ocean. Hmm. But Marifel has consistently kept its identity going back for hundreds of years. There's a reason, and I joke about this, but it's important that you understand. It's important people understand. There is a reason why I'm wearing this hat. There's a reason why I'm wearing these glasses. I don't just want to look, or let's take the just out. I don't want to look cool. I don't look cool. There's nothing cool about this. What it is, is staying, how do you say fidel in, in English? Staying loyal hmm. to who you are and to what you are and to where you came from. That's all it is. In the same way as your parents are going to teach you how to hold a knife and fork, teach you how to greet people when they walk through the door. In the same way, as the appearance has remained consistent. If you go back for the last 200 years in the family, you'll see that the, the, the look and feel, or at least the last 150, you'll see that the look and feel is exactly the same. Hmm. Very, very similar. So again, what is Marifel? And Marifel historically is European I wouldn't use the word royalty because we have nothing to do with royalty, but it's it's it's, it's a, a type a type of people that privilege certain values, certain education, uh, certain uh, um, certain tangible and intangible concepts, 
which remain co constant over time. Hmm. And this is, whether it's ironically or it's paradoxically, this is also what created European luxury. And I'm not speaking about myself or my family. I'm speaking about the families which were responsible for creating European luxury. Mm. Now, what is European luxury? European luxury is Hermès, Chanel, Bugatti, Rolls-Royce, Pagani, Louis Vuitton, blah, 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 blah. These are all old European artisans that have a similar background to our background, so to speak. Many of them are multi-generational, some of them are not, some of them are, who have unconditionally put an insane amount of investment, whether it's intellectual investment, whether it's innovative investment, whether it's financial investment, into bringing their product to a level which is very, very, very complicated to reach. Everyone's following me? Mm -hmm. And this is the basis of what the Europeans consider to be uber luxury. You're mm. bringing a product to a level which is very, very, very hard to achieve. And you're doing it not because you're putting a price tag on something. You're doing it because you're deconstructing every single element and bringing it to a level which nobody else around you is either capable of doing or willing to do. Or willing to do. Yeah. Okay. And the reason for that is because typically we've got our little, uh, there it went. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> typically when you're building a business and you want that business to be profitable, this model is a very, very dangerous model, which usually, usually uh, is not the easiest way. If your, your goal is to build a profit uh, is to build high profitability. Okay, if we take the European models of high profitability, and I'm not going to talk about Bernard Arnault, who built a, an empire around luxury with his LVMH group, because that's something which is relatively new. Okay, but if I take the, the, the old models of Uber luxury of Europe, whether it's Rolls Royce, whether it's uh, Pagani, whether it's uh, uh, Patek back in the day, et cetera, et cetera, most of these people, most of these companies struggled to be profitable. Why? Mm -hmm. It is very, very difficult and it is very, very unprofitable to play this game. You're playing in a league where everything is so complicated and everything is so expensive and everything is so demanding uh, that none of the focus is on optimization of profitability and what you learn in the, in, in the business schools. None of it. And so... When you're building a cigar, like you're building a Patek Philippe or a Richard Mille or a Pagani or whatever it is, you're building the cigar in that particular way, you're building uh, the packaging in that particular way, you're building every single detail of everything in that particular way. I mean, mm. just the band of this project took us three years to develop and we have a, a patent, a European patent on the technology to actually make one of those bands that you have on your cigar right now. You know, hmm. you don't realize how crazy it is to produce one of those bands. The bands were created in the, uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a very, very, very special band factory, uh, which is owned by a friend of mine called John Van Tintelen in the Netherlands. 
uh, he brings band making to a level. Uh, those those who are from the industry uh, know him very well. He brings the band making to a level which, uh, yeah, which, which today nobody else uh, would would want to do. Let's so to speak, because it's such a uh, such a, a hand labor intensive process, and then he does it. He does it the old school way. So his level of detail and uh, and quality is just out of this world. But then what we did is for the development, we brought that out and we brought it into the aerospatial industry uh, to try to figure out how to elaborate uh, the band and bring it to a, a level of, of luxury, which was unheard of. And so all of these little details put together, whether it's you know, the, the, the silk ribbon in the box, which is handmade in, in France, or whether it's a band which is, you know, out of, out of uh, John's factory and then the aerospatial industry and, and, is, and, and, has, a, and has a brevet, a patent on, on the technology that we're using to make it, whether it's, uh, uh, whether it's the, the blend in, its, in, in itself, which I, I won't even get into, but the, we, we use two different types of methodologies for the blends of these cigars. Uh, one of the methodologies we use is to say, okay, uh, the, the one you're using, the one you're smoking, actually, is is, is what I'm going to uh, what I'm going to express right now, uh, is is saying, okay, there there were certain masterpiece blends which uh, which my family was involved with historically. The Meyer blend is actually a very good example, and uh, that blend was abandoned. Uh, it was actually made for one person. It was the owner of a of a cigar company many 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 years ago. Um, and my grandfather co-blended that, uh, uh, co-blended the blend uh, with that person. They were best of friends. They were very, very, very close friends. Um, and, uh, and the, the blend was never, it was never commercialized. It was, it was, it was impossible to commercialize that blend. Uh, the, the cost of the tobaccos and the age of the tobaccos and the complexity of the blend are so complicated that uh, it was just for the owner of the company and my grandfather, and then dad smoked a few once in a while, but it was mostly uh, my grandfather that smoked that cigar back in the day. And, um, and then when, when that person passed away, that, that blend actually stopped existing. Mm. And so uh, when we wanted to create the Meir blend, the, the first thing that, uh, that I did was to sit down and say, okay, you know, who was my great-great-grandfather? You know, who was he? I didn't know him. What did he represent? Um, what were his values? You know, what would I be feeling if I would be sitting on a chair across from him right now? Um, what kind of what kind of emotions would would be uh, would be shared with him? What what would I be feeling? What kind of personage was he? And so I would go back in uh, I would go back in my um, in 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 the files uh, in the pictures. Uh, I would you know my grandfather would tell me stories. Um, of the family, and, and I would kind of get a proxy understanding of, 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 of who he was. And when I understood what I understood, when I felt what I understood, felt what I felt, I remember this blend going back from when I was a small kid. I remember, you know, and I went back to it and I spoke to the, to the owners of that company. I said, guys, you know, um, can, you, can, you, can you try to dig in and, and find that blend? And they said, Jeremiah, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. We, the, the tobaccos, it's, it's impossible. This is, you know, it's like telling us you want to bring back a, a Rolls Royce from 19, you know, from the 1950s back to life, you know, unless you find one that we can restore, you know, but the machinery is gone, the, this is gone, you know, it's impossible. And um, that's, that's what this project is all about. It's, it's saying, okay, fine. It's impossible. Where do we start? 
I love that. Yeah, it's impossible. Where do we start? That's, I mean, that's that's a that's a fearless attitude that I think is far too rare these days around the world, regardless of Europe, Asia, the states. It's a it's a fearless attitude that I think is far too rare. It's too really rare, like but it's that. one it's one which 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 all of us, every single one of us sitting here, has to keep reminding ourselves and our kids that listen, we don't have to be like this every day. I, you know, I don't expect anybody in the right mind who wants a normal, happy, balanced life to think this way, or you're going to end up just as fucked up as I am. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's make things clear. However, what I am saying is that you don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose the magic. You don't want to lose the fact that you can sit down and steal a moment in time, mm. which um, which brings you to places uh, and connects you to places uh, which 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 we should be connected to at certain times and we can reach at certain times, and I think that's what we wanted the Marifal Cigar to be able to deliver something different and something to take you somewhere else. And uh, if there's something which uh, which I'm happy is that uh, yeah, you know when I when I sit down with a friend or, or when. Uh, when I enjoy a, a Marifal cigar with a, uh, with with a, with an aficionado, we're sitting down in, in, in old Europe. We're sitting down in Uber luxury. We're sitting down in a place which is uh, which is uh, which is different. Uh, I was going to say the word unique, but there's you know many cigars that deliver a unique experience. Uh, this is just another one. It's 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 mm. it's another place. It's another setting. Uh, it's another feeling, and um, you know once in a while, we deserve to feel like royalty and. Uh, yeah. Playing around with these these types of tobaccos and these types of blends, well, huh. I'm I'm happy to say it's not only the kings that are able to do it anymore. <laughs> well, one of the things I I wanted to ask you, and and you already brought up a little bit about it as far as, um, you know, for for so many of us here in the states, we don't experience, and we we didn't grow up with experiences uh, of of the ways that people interact and the way that uh, the different cultures of Europe, um, uh, we didn't experience those. And so I'm curious because we're coming into the holiday season. So for you and your family, what's, what's one of the most important things that you as a family look forward to uh, for, for each holiday season? Um, hmm. Wow, that's a very, very loaded question, Matt. <laughs> I think what, what anybody in their right mind looks forward to during the holiday season is being around the table with their families. Hmm. Um, now, whether that's possible or not is a different story. Uh, some of us don't have the privilege of being able to do it because our parents are not here anymore or some of our family members are not here anymore. Um, others because our parents need to work. Uh, others because we might not have, you know, the best of relationships with everybody in our families. But let's just say that um, I want a strong message to come across to anybody who watches this. 
make family your priority. Hmm. And work at it very, very, very hard. Now there's exceptions and those exceptions are understandable, but in general, work at it and make sure that you honor the people around you whilst they're alive, because when they're not there anymore, it's too late. Yeah. So you speak about the fam the holidays, the holiday season. Look at it as a festive moment. Look at it as a moment for you to have a great meal and to see great friends, but also look at it as a responsibility to do good. Bring your family together, reach out to people that are less fortunate, reach out to people who may not have a home to go to. Whether those people are close to you or not, it's irrelevant. You have a responsibility and you have an opportunity, again, to bring a huge amount of light into this world. Use hmm. it. Use it. Yeah. We have a short journey, a very short journey. I, I saw this cartoon once and uh, it, it brought tears to my eyes because of how realistic it was. It was a little girl. I mean, you've maybe seen it on, on whatever Instagram or one of these social medias. It was a little girl looking into a mirror and she, uh, she had her finger pointed at the mirror and across from her, there was a very, very old grandmother hmm. looking at her straight in the eyes. And it was herself. And the grandmother was telling her, enjoy because it goes very, very quickly. And that's for those who are fortunate enough to live a long and healthy life. Mm -hmm. Others the, are less fortunate. And if we don't all admit to ourselves, realize, take upon ourselves the opportunity and the responsibilities that we have within that time frame of actually doing something positive. I'm very, very, very afraid that uh, we regret it when it's way too late. Yeah. And so let's remind ourselves that uh, I think this week is, uh, is the week of uh, Thanksgiving, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, mm -hmm. sir. So I think it's very appropriate, actually, to remind ourselves more than once of the responsibility that we have, not only to thank other people, thanking people is wonderful, but of taking upon ourselves responsibilities of making people, people happier, of committing to doing good things. Um, you know, that's, that's really what's going to turn all of this around for, for us, mm. for our children and, and for the future guys. And, and I, I, I truly believe that uh, enjoying a premium cigar is part of all of this because it puts you in the right frame of mind. Uh, but it also gives you that responsibility. If, if we are going to be the ones that are going to be holding the torch, and the cigar is a torch. Mm. Then let's use it to spread light and let's use it to do incredibly positive things around us. And so that's, that's I think, uh, my message yes. for, uh, for anybody in a holiday season mm -hmm. of what I, what I would like to do. Amen to that, brother. This, 
<clears throat> this whole thing, this interview has been profound. Yeah. You've said so many enlightening things. Um, and as I, I'm going to watch this again, I'm going to have a little notepad down. <laughs> take some notes because you have been an incredible guest. And I'm honored to be at this interview with you. Um, I just want to thank you. We didn't lose our connection, did we? Ah, now you're back. I'm sorry. Oh. I, I missed you. Uh, Raul? Yes. Word for word, repeat what you just said. Please. <laughs> this whole interview has been profound, and I'm going to have to sit back and watch it over with a notepad and take some of the lessons you give, you've given us tonight. And I just want to thank you for being on the show. It's, uh, it, was, it was amazing. That's it. Awesome. Yeah. Listen, uh, the, the thanks goes to you three gentlemen. Uh, you're the ones who uh, day in and day out are holding those torches up. Hmm. You're the ones who uh, day in and day out are putting these microphones in front of you and, and these cameras and uh, spending your, your valuable time uh, with uh, a, num a numerous amount of people. Uh, some which you know and some which you don't know at all and you're sharing with them you're sharing a uh, passion uh, you're sharing uh, an expertise but you're also sharing uh, a bit of yourselves and uh, to do that it takes a gener a very generous soul uh, it takes an empathetic soul um, and it takes a soul which uh, which has the the foresight and it has the uh, love and wisdom to share with other people and uh, may it be an inspiration to all of your viewers uh, what you're doing and the way that you're doing it and um, I can only uh, uh, thank you mm. and uh, and give all of my blessings to you and to your wives and to your children uh, of health and of happiness and uh, May your, may your beautiful souls and your beautiful education be passed on to your next, next generations um, with as much style and as much friendship as how you're sharing it with us. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you, and if, if you have a few minutes, I'd love for you to uh, stay, stay through the last, uh, last little bit of the show with us. A few minutes? It's 5 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. I have the whole day. That's right. That's right. Well, so I want to check in on the mystery bur or the mystery whiskey. Uh, we know that it's a bourbon. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's it's pretty nice. Uh, it's it's like I said, it's got a lot of sweetness to it, a little bit of funk. Um, my first guess is uh, Bullet Ten Year. No sir. My second guess is Russell's Reserve Ten Year. No sir. My third. I don't have a third guess. Eagle Rare Ten Year. Eagle Rare Ten Year. It's a very nice bourbon. I figured we'd bring a little something style there tonight. It's very nice. It's very nice. Thank you for that pour, my friend. All right, so I think it's time. Is it time? Are you sure? I think it is. All right, guys, it is time for this week's Numero, Numero de, los de los Muertos. And as always, Numero de los Muertos brought to us by our friends at Smoke Inn.
That was quite the production. I know that new spot for the great smoke. It's that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty epic. Yeah. Okay. So this week's numero de los muertos, episode two hundred twenty-three. The number is six. 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 Is this forever? Is this last year? This is in total. In total, and this is real life stuff. Huh? Fiction. It's fictional. Fictional. Oh. So this is a movie. A movie. So this is the total, total, uh, total deaths in this particular movie. And I bring, and I'll, here's a big hint. So I bring up this movie in particular mm-hmm. because our dear friend Jeremiah. This, this is now. This is not. This movie is not set in Brussels, but it is set in somewhere in Belgium. So okay. And the uh, so so. Is, you want me to guess where it is? So you you can guess where it is. Our viewers can guess where it is. Uh, so we're just, trying to figure out the place. Justin and Raul, what's that? We're trying to figure out the place. Well, if you if you figure out the place, then you'll okay. figure out the title of the movie as well. Okay. Hmm. I think I know the actors. You know the actors? Yeah. You want to Colin, name one of them? Colin uh, Farrell? No, that, not Colin. That's one of them, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and the other one's the... Uh, so what is it, Raul? I don't know. I can't remember the name. You can't remember the name of the movie. Okay. Um, and the other guy is... Uh, so, Jeremiah, can do you have an inkling of the movie we're talking about? Listen, I'm taking a wild guess, but I'm, I'm guessing it's probably Bruges. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So this movie, the movie is called In Bruges, yep. and it's uh, Colin Farrell and the guy from uh, New York Gangs that was the yeah, uh, Brendan Gleeson. Yes, I love him. It's a it. So if you haven't seen this movie, it is hilarious. Huh? It's a dark comedy about basically it's about two hitmen mm-hmm. who sort of get shipped off to Bruges to sort of wait and and do a job but then they don't do the job and the the head gangster guy comes after them and it's it it's just this hilarious dark comedy i'm gonna have to watch that one um good. and it's i highly recommend the movie it's really really good uh so that might have been one of the quickest. <laughs> That's a that was a quick one, but I I I knew it wasn't going to take a take a very long time because it's it's a pretty well known movie, and um, again, if you haven't seen it, definitely take the time to go watch that. Uh, so that was this week's numero de los muertos. All right, let's jump into the lightning round brought to us by J.C. Newman Cigar Company, America's oldest family-owned premium cigar maker, creators of the popular Brickhouse, Perla Del Mar, Diamond Crown, and The American. J.C. Newman Cigar Company operates out of their 112-year-old El Relo Cigar Factory in historic Cigar City, Tampa, Florida. For more information on their cigars or visitor experience, please visit jcnewman.com. All right. So, Jeremiah, you've been on the show before, so you've had some of these questions, but we got some new ones. So, and one of the things I'm curious about is whether it's whether it's in uh, in Belgium, where you're from, or whether it's other areas of Europe, or even in the states. What is your favorite fast food item? If you if you ever go for fast food, burgers, fries, 
what's something you just love? Shit, which one do I not love? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, I, I listen. I don't know. I lo- I love I love junk food. I love food. I love everything. Anything I can swallow, I love. So, uh, I guess I guess my favorite one is the one that my wife's not looking at the moment it's in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't get judged. Yeah, exactly. So I don't get whacked. <laughs> Um, what is your, what's your favorite? I mean, I, I know as far as I'm aware, you're, you really enjoy wine. Is that correct? Yes. But outside of wine, what's, what's your favorite cocktail? Oof. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, listen, uh, my notions of cocktails have completely been redefined in the last year or two since uh, Reinhard Porek uh, took over the uh, the Marifal Cigar, uh, running the Marifal Cigar division of our company. You know, Reinhard was the world champion of uh, mixology. He was the best cocktail maker on the planet. And, um, you know, I thought I knew what a cocktail was until Reinhard mixed up a cocktail for me. And then I realized. <laughs> so I'm going to have to answer that question next time I'm on the show because Every single time he mixes something up for me, I'm I just fall off my chair and I'm like, this is my favorite. And then two, a cocktail later, I'm like, no, 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 this was my favorite. <laughs> so, so I'll I'll just we'll say the answer is anything Reinhard makes. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. I love it. The fact I didn't know about him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's. What's another one here? Um. All right, if you and, and we know that you do the the meet the professor show uh, with Jose Blanco and Carlito Fuente. But if you had, if you were, if you were the host of your own late night television talk show, who would you want to be your first celebrity guest? Celebrity guest. It can be Uh, past or present. Yeah, we and it, we'll say it could be past or present. Someone, someone, uh, someone living or dead can it, you can you can choose. You could say uh, back in the era of Johnny Carson or or in today's era. If I had, if I had, uh, obviously, uh, apart from the sentimental tie to, you know, to dad or to, to my, to my father or the grandfather, whatever, apart from all of that, if I had to bring somebody on, uh, past or present in terms of curiosity and in terms of, you know, truly wanting to understand what life and what things were through their eyes, I would like to bring back, um, one of my relatives or, or one of the people from that time who were on those boats out of Spain crossing the Atlantic uh, back in the 1600s trading mm. tobacco. Um, because I would, I would want to gain, you know, you know, being living and breathing and, and, and smoking tobacco. I mean, anybody who knows me intimately, you know, there's, there's nothing in my life, nothing in my life. Uh, which doesn't involve a, a cigar or tobacco in, in, in one in, in one way, one form. Okay. Mm. Now, 
bringing the guys who were the innovators, who were at the base of that, um, I think would add a lot to to uh, to what we're doing and uh, and to how we're doing it, to the understanding of of, of the whys. Um, I would definitely, definitely want to get one of those pirates back on the table. Mm. No, that's great. I love that. Now, I, I don't know if you've had this question before, but honestly, even if you have, we're going to ask it again. All right. You ready, Jeremiah? Of course. All right. The zombies are coming. You get to pick three people from the cigar industry to be part of your zombie apocalypse survival squad. Who would you pick? And why? Uh, okay, when you say the industry, do you mean the industry as the public knows it, or the industry uh, behind the scenes that nobody knows? Whoever you think you were going to be able to survive against the zombies with. <laughs> yeah, even your even three if... main people, so they could be dead, living. Who are those three people that are going to help you win against the zombie apocalypse? Okay. Um, so, uh, I would definitely bring in my father, uh, because of his knowledge of tobacco and, and, and very, 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 very broad knowledge of tobacco. Uh, dad was somebody who could sit down with anybody in the world, anybody in the world and have a very deep discussion about tobacco and, you know, kind of put them back in their place. Uh, <laughs> And, and I'm speaking even the growers themselves. Of, of He was a very, very, very powerfully deep man in terms of understanding of, of tobacco leaf. And, uh, uh, and, and he would be somebody who is needed to reconstruct, at least how I see it, or the way that, that I would want it, uh, my daily cigar. The second person... Um, I would want in a situation like this is Carlito Fuente. Um, now, obviously, you guys are thinking, well, wait a second. This guy is speaking about the people that are closest to him. Um, but guys, you need to realize that there's a reason why these are the people closest to me. Uh, okay, my father's my father. I don't have a choice. But for the rest of the people in the world, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where, you know, I can kind of choose my pick. And, uh, and Carlito Fuente is undoubtedly um, the biggest or the most expressive genius when it comes to uh, cigar creation and cigar brands today in the industry. And that's a big statement I'm making. Um, I've been by his side uh, my entire life uh, and most of his professional life. Um, and he has a very, 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 very unique way of, uh, of seeing, um, things, whether it's, uh, the tobacco, whether it's the cigars, whether it's the, the branding, it's, uh, it's something you would, you would get out of the head of a, of an, of a, of a crazy artist. Hmm. Uh, and, and that's, that's, that's important. Uh, And actually, thanks to that, you know, there's I have an enormous amount of faith in the in the, in the future 
simply because the influence that that had on 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 Liana and Lidiana, Sophia and Carlos, are significant enough um, for that heritage to be able to be passed down and to continue. Yeah. So Carlito would definitely be the second person, which would be instrumental at um, at bringing back uh, the cigar industry. Um, the third person uh, would be, and, and I'm not going to name names because nobody's going to know who I'm talking about if I do, um, would be my, um, my team. Mm. And I'm, 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 I'm mentioning them as a person because, um, because they, they form one unit. Um, my team have learned from my father. They've learned from me. Um, and some of them actually, well, not some of them, all of them, uh, who have been around, uh, and which is most of them actually, from my grandfather. And so the, the level of understanding of the, not only the business mechanics in terms of the product and what we're looking for, but the way we do things to achieve what we want to achieve, um, I would have to spend 20 years to, to train somebody or a team of people uh, just on the fact that um, basically I would have to deprogram people to stop thinking as businessmen and to start thinking as, you know, cigar passionados in, an, in a business environment. And I'd rather just walk in with my team if I had to do that than, than hmm. train somebody else. Um, hmm. Most people who arrive in the company, it's very complicated because they arrive with a, either an academic background or a business background they do things in a certain way and they have to kind of forget everything because when you tell them, listen, you know, you're going to have to uh, sacrifice this much profitability or this much, whatever it is, you know, because the taste is just not exactly what I'm looking for. It's not right. Most people would actually shoot themselves or walk out the door. <laughs> and so if, if I wasn't a business, if I wasn't a zombie situation, so to speak, uh, that, that team of people or that group of people, including our, our, uh, our director of, uh, of, of production in Africa, our operational director, our managing director, you know, the countless uh, uh, tribal chiefs which are working with us, um, Stephanie uh, back in the leaf department, uh, obviously Maria and all, you know, all the people that, that have been with us forever. You know, these, these guys are, uh, they make one unit. Uh, so let's, let's count that as one. I love it. I love this is such a that was the best answer this is such I think a, I've ever <laughs> well, it's such a it's such a testament, Jeremiah, yeah. to your thought process because yeah. you're more your focus when you're thinking about the zombie apocalypse is your focus is rebuilding the tobacco and cigar industry. <laughs> right. That's fucking fantastic. I I that's I, nobody else has ever answered it in that way. And that is just groundbreaking. I love it. Sorry, Matt. I, I I I don't understand. Wasn't that your question? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Honestly, it, in a way, yeah. That's that's holy. That's just fantastic. That's I love it. I love I love the thought process. Um, okay, so let's jump into this week's notable smokables. Brought to us by Luciano Cigars. Uh, notable cigars. Notable passion. Notable purpose. 
Uh, so Jeremiah, every week, each of us names a cigar on the show that we smoked recently that was notable to us. Now, this could be a cigar that's been on the market for many decades that we smoked for the first time in a long time. Or it could be a cigar that's brand new to the market that we smoked for the first time ever. Now, obviously, you're smoking mostly your own stuff. You're, I know you enjoy a lot of Fuente cigars. But is there something you smoked recently that's kind of outside of what you normally reach for that you had the chance to try either for the first time ever or the first time in, in years that really stood out to you? No. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. Um, no, that's, hey, honest is, and concise. This is exactly why, you know, a lot of people um, don't appreciate my uh, my straightforwardness, but uh, Amerifel uh, thinks what he says and he says what he thinks. Uh, there's very, very few cigars out there which uh, which I enjoy lighting up, not because I, I think they're bad cigars, but because I think they're not exceptional cigars. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I would be more than happy to discover anything. I'm very open-minded. Uh, but don't come to me with bullshit and try to sell me something which is good. And it's not. It's, uh, I'm not going to, it doesn't work. So uh, I've been smoking my entire life. I was trained by the best people in the industry, in the world, uh, in history. Uh, it doesn't mean I have a better palate, but it means I have a very, very specific palate. Uh, which has been trained in a very, very specific way. Uh, I recognize tobacco that's been fermented properly. I recognize tobacco that's been worked properly. Uh, there's nothing I hate more in the world than tobacco, which hasn't gone through the, uh, the processes which it should. Uh, on an intellectual level, it just blocks everything. It just destroys everything for me because I can see the corners that have been cut, uh, you know, before, before I finish lighting up the cigar. Um, and as a, as a professional in the industry, you can't ask me to have respect for something which I know hasn't been brought to where it needs to go. So that's the long answer to the no. Um, it's very, very, very rare. However, however, it does happen once in a while uh, mm. that somebody pulls something off where I, I go, wow, this is, this, is, this is good work. This is very, yeah. very good work. Um, but it wouldn't be surprising to anybody to know that... Uh, yeah, my regular smoke uh, is is limited to uh, to a handful of cigars. Yeah, no, totally understandable. Mm -hmm. uh, Raul, what uh, what's your notable this week? Oh, he's going with the he's going with the cigar Let's we just finished band. smoking Let's tonight. See that band. Let's see that band. Yeah, that band that band is absolutely. I mean it it's like it's like a, a gorgeous stained glass window from a church it's should be, should you know, let me let me tell you something about the band uh, matt let me tell you something about the band um one of the things which we wanted to bring into this uh, into this project was was heritage obviously heritage is a great part of it and earlier on you spoke about bruges hmm. right yeah now you'll you'll see several things in this project which relate back to uh, to belgium and you'll understand what I'm getting to in a second. When um, when we decided to create uh, uh, to create, and when I say create, I mean invent uh, a different type of band, something which uh, which is different. Um, I remember going to John uh, and saying, "John, uh, I need you to create uh, 
in the same way as, as uh, lingerie is going to cover the, the body of a beautiful woman, I want you to create lace to cover the body of the cigar. Hmm. Uh, lace is actually made in Bruges historically. Uh, it's a very, very Belgian thing. Um, and so the notion of lace uh, was, was one I wanted to bring into the cigar. And John told me, listen, it's impossible. Um, this was three or four years ago. He said, uh, Jeremiah, it's, it's impossible uh, for technical reasons, which uh, I'm, I'm not going to get in on this show. Um, but if you look at the amount of detail on that band, uh, you're actually looking at a piece of paper. Uh, so getting that kind of detail cut into a band, uh, we, we, it took many, many years of, of engineering to, to, to actually reach it. And um, what you actually end up with is, is lace. You end up with mm. how do you sublime the body uh, of something which is, uh, which is perfect? You know, like the body of a woman, how do you sublime it with lace? The, the body of a cigar, the wrapper, you're looking at very, 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 very old and expensive wrapper. I mean, probably, the not probably, certainly the most expensive leaf on the planet ever. You're holding it in your hand when you're smoking that cigar. And uh, how do you sublime it? And coming from a, a Belgian background, I wanted lace on the cigar. So it's important when you show everybody that band, you need to look at it as lace. It's lace. Yeah. Now, the story of that particular one, that particular one is the Ernest band, okay? And each of the bands represents the person that they're representing, you see? So the Ernest one, uh, sorry, the, the Meir one, which you have there, mm -hmm. is actually a burst of light, okay? Mm. In the Richard, it's a leaf. So I, I don't think you have one where you are in the studio, but no. if, you look at, if you look at the Richard band, it's, it's tobacco leaves because mm. my father was responsible for, for Cameroon as, as the world knows it today and the way that's, uh, okay. And, and my great-great-grandfather was a very, from what I understand and what I've read, it was a very, very particular person, very spiritual person um, who was very, very attached to the notions and the energies uh, he was he was studying astrophysics. He was studying the stars. He was very 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 Kabbalist in, in those days. So he was a, a very scientific mind, and lights was very important for him. And you can see this also in our education and the way we speak and the importance of spreading that light and spreading that love and spreading that energy. Meir Merifel, Maria the Second, was responsible for pushing it down into the future generations that, that you're actually feeling today. And the band that you have in your hand is that ray of light. It's that initial big bang. It's that initial burst of light. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, just stunning. Um, and as much as I appreciate the band, the cigar was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, was really, phenomenal. Really good. Really very good cigar. Um, I don't know how to follow that, but well, yeah, but still, tell, tell <laughs> us, mean, tell us I, what your I, notable I, I, was. Of this course, week. it's this right now, right? Uh, if we're talking about earlier this week, I'm gonna. I had a work, you know, 
uh, meeting I had to go to for some kind of negotiator training in person this week. <laughs> so I'm like, I just got the box of the uh, Sober Mesa Wagashi from Cigar Dog. Oh, sure. Yeah. Tobacco yeah. Trust. So I I got to let him rest for a second. I didn't oh, smoke yeah, no. on the way to the meeting, big meeting, you know, and uh, that, yeah, that, that Cigar Dojo uh, release of the Sober Mesa Wagashi by Dumbarton Tobacco Trust is really good. Okay. Oh. Uh, hmm, so, so mine is one that I just posted the review of today on, on HowAboutThatCigar.com. Uh, the new one from Hoy de Nicaragua, the Cinco de Cinco. Oh. Uh, this being the Corona Extra Vitola that I smoked. Um, nice new blend from those guys okay. so uh fits into that uh series that they've been working on the last few years uh so yeah but the, again this this uh this cigar we just smoked on the show tonight incredible so incredible it's it's, it's a little out of my price range but i will not smoke for two months <laughs> to get the rest of the line at least one of the rest of the line's so oh, where yeah. can we find these? Yeah, that's what Rich said. Rich said, where "Yeah, so for for buy? people in the, in the states, are these cigars available in the in the states?" So, gentlemen, I I I I don't want to disappoint you. I have no idea. Uh, I am <laughs> at I am not involved at all in the commercialization of these products. Uh, Reinhard Porek is the vice president of uh, sales and brand experience for the Mariful Cigar. Uh, I, I, whenever I spend time in uh, in um, in uh, uh, commercialization, sales, and development, uh, market developments, it's uh, as president of Fuente International. I represent the Fuente brands, uh, and that's what I build in terms of sales and uh, and, uh, and and markets. Uh, Reinhardt is the man. He is the uh, the, the leader of the Marifal Cigar division. So. Uh, I'm I'm very afraid to tell you that uh, Mr. Marifal cannot tell you where you can buy a Marifal cigar. <laughs> well, here's the here's the great thing about that is he's actually going to be on the show in a couple weeks. So ah, there you go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and that actually brings us to uh, coming attractions and those coming attractions on how about that cigar life brought to us by AJ Fernandez born and raised in Cuba. AJ Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The AJ Fernandez portfolio of cigars provides blend strength and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer, whether it's new world, Dias de Gloria, San Latano, Enclave or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from AJ Fernandez. So, like I said, we have some very cool guests coming up on the show. Next Monday night on the 27th, we have Mike from Lovely Cigars mm -hmm. right there in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, and on December 4th, we have the lovely Reinhard from hmm. Mirafel Cigar. We're going to talk about Mirafel Cigars. We're going to talk about his uh, Light em Up Lounge uh, show on, on Finally, you'll, you'll have a gentleman on your, on your show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then on December 11th, we have Ed Trevino from Luciano Cigars. And closing out the month of December, our annual year in review show. We're going to open up. Already? I, it's... it's I know we're going to open up the box of bands and talk about what we smoked a lot of this year. Talk about kind of some of the big things that happened in the cigar industry uh, and some other cool stuff. Um, so that'll be our last show of 2023. Uh, so Jeremiah, 
I have to say, brother, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being on tonight's show. This was this was beyond just a show about rapper binder filler, about branding and marketing and all. This was a show about people. This was a show about relationships. This was a show about the heart and uh and, and family and legacy and, and family and legacy and yeah all the and we're very grateful to you for being being on with us this morning uh in your case uh and thank you for uh being up extra early and uh giving your time and your wisdom and your honesty and your your open openness to us thank you sir no thank you very much to you um my father hears us. Happy birthday, Dad. And mm. happy Thanksgiving to um, to everybody out there. I wish you only the best. And thank you for having me on your show. It was a, it was a wonderful time. Thank you so much. Uh, to our viewers and listeners, guys, thank you so much for being the best part of How About That Cigar Live. We are so grateful that you spend this time with us live on Facebook and on YouTube. And if you're watching after the fact on either Facebook or YouTube, thank you so much. Take just a minute to, to subscribe to our channel. Uh, and click the like button and leave a comment. Even if it's after the fact, go ahead and leave a comment because uh, we, we try to respond to those in a timely manner, if, whether it's a comment or a question. Uh, and speaking of questions, if you have any questions, you can email any of us on the website, howaboutthatcigar.com. Be sure to follow us on all your favorite social media platforms at HBT Cigar. And of course, until we see you guys next time, burn cigars. And not bridges. Thanks, guys. Any comments, opinions, viewpoints, or statements presented or uttered by guests on the HBTC podcast, HBTC live video streams, and all other media from HBT Media LLC are solely those of the individual and do not necessarily represent the opinions or viewpoints of How About That Cigar or its parent company, HBT Media LLC, any of our advertising partners, or the premium cigar industry. The primary purpose of How About That Cigar is to entertain and to encourage activity and growth within the community of people who enjoy or want to learn about the enjoyment of premium premium cigars.